From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States, this is program number 32 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see towering mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful to us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their sight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes not only to empower people to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life. To people like me, who are totally blind, to sighted parents who have a blind child, to blind parents who have sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, how to swim in the ocean when you're blind, a trip to a tasting or food source garden, and remembering Pat Bradbury, who made the tactile traveler possible. Going to the beach, one of the most popular vacation destinations in the world. But going from the beach into the ocean can be a challenge for many of us. But there are blind and low vision people who literally get into the swim of things. Osage de Leon swims in the Atlantic Ocean near Miami where he's a Braille and technology instructor at the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. He says how blind people experience lake and ocean swimming depends on their degree of blindness. You know that since visual impairment is, is, is you know, the eye conditions are so many and, and diverse, so I think some things may may apply to other individuals, but some tips may not be, you know, useful for, for some other people. If you have some vision, then I would recommend that to pay to try to leave like a bright color beach towel that you can track, or to also pay attention to the buildings that are around you, so you you can you know track those buildings when you're coming back when you're swimming and all that. You'll see in a moment that everyone has different comfort levels when they go swimming. Um, in my case, and I'm completely blind, I, in the open ocean, I would recommend that to do it in a group or to have some kind of audio cue that will help me get oriented in the ocean because it's very easy to get disoriented in the ocean. I do have, I possess very good orientation skills out in the street but in the ocean is something else. I don't. I don't have. Even if I had my cane, I would get disor- disoriented. So I would. Uh, when I have gone to the 
So swimming in the ocean, I usually do it in a group. I would say more than a partner, a partner I usually swim with mm, two people, swimming on my right one and the other one on my left. And they are constantly talking to me. So that's, uh, that's a good way to, to keep track of, you know, the, the, of them. A big part of going to the ocean is swimming with your kids. This organization, they were, they were open to that because I signed a waiver that I am the one who's responsible for my son, not them. They are there for me, not really for my child. I brought my son once to the beach, but um, not to swim. When I'm with my son, then my priorities change. Uh, he is my priority, and I have to make sure that he is the one who has fun and uh, to make sure that he's safe. So I do bring him, but when I bring him, I prefer that he does his swimming and I just stay around him. But we don't really get in the open ocean swimming with him. Across the country, retired veterinarian Rocky Camp swims in the Pacific Ocean near San Diego. I was diagnosed with uh, retinitis pigmentosa when I was in my early 40s. And it's been a progressive vision loss since then. And apparently my field is uh, down to about 7 or 8% the last time I had it checked. And I'm also starting to lose my central vision. So I have a little bit of vision left. Rocky swims a lot. And he swims in races. I swam in high school competitively and then took up triathlons when I was in my mid-30s, and I'm 68 now. So I was doing triathlons on my own up until my, I would say my mid-40s, even on up into my maybe very early 50s, and I probably shouldn't have but I was doing them on my own. I've done many swims with them across the La Jolla Bay. I've done the Golden Gate, the span of the Golden Gate Bridge, the Alcatraz swim, a couple of two to four mile swims in various lakes and Newport Beach races. And I just love it. It's just, it's where I actually feel safer out in that water than I do on the street, walking down the sidewalk. As Rocky was losing his sight, he realized that he needed guides. Had a few close calls. When I was in my early 50s and my vision loss was getting much more dramatic, I realized that I really had no choice if I wanted to continue doing triathlons. I had to start looking into guides for running and swimming, and I needed to start looking into riding on a tandem. During recreational swims, Rocky usually uses only one guide. I have still enough preserved vision that I'm able to, as long as I'm keep them in direct line of sight, which is the side that I'm breathing on. I can at least see a splash or a flash of light that tells me where they are. And sometimes I'm led astray. Sometimes I lose it and I have to stop and my guide stops and they, they of course, keep an eye on me and they'll raise my hand or call out to me. 
and I swim over and find them. So that's how, how I do it. Well, like in the Alcatraz swim, I had two guides because there were so many people around us bumping into me that I had one guide on one side and one on the other, um, and they sort of protected me along the way. Usually, I just have one guide at a time, and uh, or I'll swim in a group. Sometimes with this Dawn Patrol, I'll have two or three or four people around me, and they all kind of look out for me. Rocky says there are times that he swims without a guide. Sometimes I will. There are very clear spots that I know. Uh, It's kind of like for you, I would imagine. If you're on a familiar path, you can do it without a cane or without a guide dog. And that's the way I am in the water. If I'm going out to, there's a buoy that in at the La Jolla Cove, where I swim at least three days a week, there's a buoy out a quarter of a mile out, and I I can get very close to it on my own. Um, I, I just kind of intuitively at this point know where it is, and occasionally people I'll hear people call out, "Hey, Rocky, we're over here," and you know I may be off by. 50 yards or something. Rocky says sometimes they're in competition. He's tethered to his guide because it's too noisy to hear his guide. His totally blind friends use a tether all the time. It's about four foot long. But the majority of them use a tether, an elastic tether that you have around your waist and your guide. It's it's elastic, so it can be like a rubber hose type material, very elastic. Um, and most of them have a, a breakaway so that if the pressure gets too intense, it'll break off the uh, waistband that you have around your waist. But it takes quite a bit of pressure to get these breakaways to work. Um, or some people just wrap the cord around their waist and, uh, and if somebody gets caught in it or a big clump of seaweed, then obviously you have to stop. Even though tethers are a good way to guide blind swimmers, they have their own problem. The reason I'm not using one and I'm putting off using one is they can get tangled in kelp that you swim through or the salt grass that you swim through and it really slows you down. Or... Sometimes people will get in between you when you're in a big, busy race or a big event, not necessarily a race. People don't notice that you have a tether between you, and then they get caught in it, and it can become not fun, and it really stops you dead in your tracks when that happens. Rocky says ocean swimming may offer blind people a freedom they never expected. The ocean, at least to me, and I know of other blind swimmers, it's a very inviting place. And as I'm sure you can relate to, the outside world certainly has its hazards for those of us that have limited or no vision. Being in the ocean, just this wide open expanse of just water, 
is just feels so freeing and inviting. I think something else that it provide I've I've always been very physically active, and I'm not a good elite athlete, but I've always been athletic. And uh, swimming provides me with a very relatively safe way to get good aerobic activity. And uh, that's why I would recommend it for any blind or visually impaired person. And there's so many people out there who are willing and capable of, of guiding. Everybody should try it. Dave White. Alexander Knott, and Cameron Sizer helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world, and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. So we are standing at the entrance, or one of the entrances, to Ponderosa Park otherwise known as the Edible Food and Seed Garden. And it's a space that is created that people can come in as both a park space to enjoy, as well as every plant in this park is either edible or used for medicinal purposes. Um, so the, the idea is to create kind of a interactive experience with uh, residents that come in and allow for free uh, enjoyment and, and picking of, of whatever fruits and vegetables they can find in here. Chris Beiser is the arborist and horticulturalist for the town of Basalt, Colorado, located between Carbondale and Aspen, Colorado. He's guiding me and the tactile travelers Joanna Belmont through Basalt's edible garden. One of the people who helped create it is world-renowned permaculturist Jerome Ossentowski the founder and director of the basalt-based Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. He helped design and build the garden. He calls it a food source garden. A food source is so multidimensional. It's just not like, you know, going into a garden and pulling a radish out. It's got so many different layers and so many different yields and essences and smells. And as a blind person, you can pick that up even more than somebody who could see it, right? So you could get you could get the taste, you could get the smells, you could feel the humidity. If a person who can see would just open their eyes, they could do the same thing, or open their senses, let's say. Because of where we entered the garden, we started our lunch hour walk with dessert. Um, we're actually coming up on our large patch of raspberries. So we've got all, three types of raspberries. We've got black, gold, and red raspberries all growing here. I've never heard of gold raspberries. Yeah, they're quite delicious, actually. They have all kinds of berries, but they're only a tiny part of the garden. We've kind of made it into the, the meat, meat and potatoes of the park, so to speak. Uh, to your left is actually a Chinese apricot that is about 20 feet tall. That'll have fruit on it later in the season. Uh, it blooms spectacularly in the spring, um, as well as we've got two different cherry trees in that this garden bed. Um, one of them actually has some fruit starting to form near the top that I can see, and I can try and pull some of those off. 
Um, I can actually see on this Chinese apricot, we do have some green fruits forming. Usually they always form at the ends of the branches where the newest growth is. Um, and then we also have on our right an app, another apple tree that's, uh, I believe this is a, oh no, I'm, I apologize, this one is an apricot. Um, so in apricots, we do have a naturalized species of apricot in the valley. Um, you can find them around the town, but we actually have taken a couple of those plantings and put them into this park. Um, again, these are going to probably be ready closer to the, the late July, early August range. Uh, as well as most of our trees, fruits, our stone fruits, as well as our apples and things like that are going to be ready around then. Um, underneath, we've got a lot of different herbaceous perennials, things like lovage. Um, we've got some rhubarb, I believe, mixed in here. We've got uh, understory clove. So we've got several types of uh, uh, clove as well as currants that are in here. I believe we've got four different species of currants. And you can actually feel that over here. They're not quite ready for, for ripening. One of the best parts of the garden is that you can pick whatever you need to take home. I can't speak for, for everybody's reasons for coming here, but it's, I wouldn't say it's primarily used as a source of like a, a grocery store, so to speak, for, for people. Although if, if someone is in need of food, you know, there's nothing to stop them from coming in here and using it as that resource. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. We're usually pretty good at going from our homes to places we go regularly. Like schools, work, stores, and restaurants, we frequent often. But if we're born blind or our neighborhoods have changed since we became blind, and we have no useful residual sight. We frequently don't know what's between our homes and those destinations. Joanna Belmont lives five minutes from the garden and frequently walked past it, and because she couldn't read the signs, or even though there were signs, never realized all of what was there. I had been there before, but I had never heard about the different plants. And a lot of the philosophy and the herbs that they grow and the berries and the fruit trees. I had never heard about that. So it was wonderful. I had passed that way often, but I had never really known what I was passing. I was excited to learn about all the different plants there. And I was really surprised that we could go in if we really wanted to and just sample them. I am definitely going to go back. Chris Beiser says there are tasting gardens all over the world. Google tasting gardens and food source gardens to see if there's one near you. They're frequently a part of botanical gardens. If there isn't one near you, talk your parks department into creating one. It's a great tactile experience and a way to try new fruits, vegetables, and herbs that you might like to cook with. April Gonzalez helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. In 2018, when I came up with the concept for this program, I was looking for a production studio 
where I could produce a pilot program and hoping to get stations or a network to run it. Cesar Las Canos suggested I try the audio information network, which up to that time I'd never heard of. I left a message in Cat Bradbury's voicemail describing my concept. Cat unexpectedly passed away July 18. Audio information networks, also called radio reading services, are available in most states here in the United States and in some foreign countries. Listeners hear the network through live streaming smart speakers, podcasts on the phone, and through special radio receivers supplied for free. Anyone who's print disabled is eligible for the free service. There's a lot of reasons why someone couldn't navigate print material. Blind or they could have low vision and they're not able to navigate things. And maybe they have dyslexia, like they could have dyslexia or maybe or maybe they've had a stroke or something and they can't hold a print publication. That's Kat from a past program. Kat was director of programming and volunteer services for the Audio Information Network of Colorado for 22 years. She supervised 150 volunteers who read local daily newspapers and magazines and the context of some websites, among other things. She not only worked a grueling schedule, she volunteered just like the 150 people she supervised. I I read the grocery ads. I do that on my own time so that we have grocery ads because I can't get a volunteer to do that because it is such a hard read. And it takes like four hours for me to do those. Kat sent me an email saying she thought a program empowering the blind to explore the world was a great idea. Her description of the program has become empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. It ended up that the Audio Information Network of Colorado doesn't have any production facilities because their volunteers work from home. Thank you, Kat. You've helped a lot of people see the world they can't see. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. That's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd like to thank the following organizations and people that helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Patrick Canero, Lorraine Hutchinson, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Kaylee Romero, and Wally Burley. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio. 
Carbondale, Colorado.